Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. Welcome. Uh, we're certainly glad that you're here with us this morning on this Memorial Day weekend. Um, for our new folks, we teach what we call series, meaning I pick a topic and, and we talk about it for a few weeks. We're in a series called Life Apps. And today's topic is a biggie, it's a really important one, called the Trust App. <clears throat> and um, let me ask you a question. How many of you a couple of questions. How many of you either have bought some piece of exercise equipment, you've joined a health club, you've read a book on diet or exercise, you started an exercise program, you started a diet program, your kids got nervous when you went in and got all the sugar out of the, out of the pantry. How many of you have done one of those things? Almost everybody. Okay. The interesting thing is, how did you feel? When you joined the health club, or you bought the exercise equipment, or you read the book, diet book, you actually felt better, didn't you? Didn't you actually feel healthier? Now, the truth is, were you any healthier? No, but you were hopeful or encouraged, and you felt like if you followed through, there'd be good results. But until you did, there was no improvement. Until you applied, actually used the equipment, or actually changed your diet, or actually exercises, there's no difference. So we've been talking about through this series, application makes all the difference. Exercise, diet, whatever. It's easy to think we're making progress when we're not. <clears throat> you know, when I buy new running shoes, for you new folks, I, I, I do long distance running, uh, try to. And uh, when I buy new running shoes, I feel faster. <laughs> Am I any faster? No, I just feel faster. And you put on the outfits, you just feel healthier, don't you? Um, but have you made any progress? No, not really. Now, then another area this affects me is I don't like shopping except for Lowe's and Home Depot. All right, some of you guys might be with me. Some of you like to shop for probably hunting equipment, but that's another issue. Um, what I do is I go and I buy stuff for projects. Like I might buy some paint to paint something at the house. And then I get home and I'm all tired out from shopping so I don't do any painting. And I still have pans of paint that I bought years ago that aren't open. So I felt like I was making progress and I guess I had the potential to make progress but I didn't make any progress because there wasn't application. Paint in the can makes no difference, does it? Now, we all understand that, right, when it comes to exercise or home, home, and pro, uh, home improvement projects. When it comes to church, we somehow, and James said it, we deceive ourselves. We think by coming and sitting and listening to a song and maybe getting inspired by the song, maybe even bringing tears to your eyes and listen to some guy get up and talk and you might either feel convicted about something uh, or feel guilty or feel bad about something or you might feel inspired to do something, and you go home feeling that you made progress. Did you make progress? No, you didn't make any progress. Now, we've talked about a couple things in this series, and if you're new or you haven't been with us, you want to check them out, you can either go to Facebook and watch the live or the video service or on our website or the recorded sermons. But we talked first about forgiveness. So if you're still not forgiving people, you haven't applied that app, and it has, you haven't made any progress in the area of forgiveness. Then on Mother's Day, we talked about rest. 
Do you get enough rest? Do you take a day off a week? Do you get enough sleep? If you haven't been doing that, then you haven't made any progress in that area. Last week we talked about a real big one, and that was <clears throat> confession. So I said, what do, you, what, do you, what do you need to confess, and who do you need to confess it to? Well, if you haven't done that yet, you haven't made any progress, even though you might have been inspired last week. And today is a, is a real biggie. It's, called, it's about trust. Trust is the foundation, is the bedrock of relationships. Now, we're going to talk mostly about trust between you and other folks today, but uh, the principle also applies to uh, your relationship with God. And if you're not a Jesus follower, we're delighted that you're here. And what we're going to talk about today can help your relationships just as well as us that are Jesus followers. Now, one more thing before we jump in. There's two things that make it hard for you and I to trust. First one is what you see, what you've experienced. Um, my wife won't mind you telling me this. When we first got married, my wife was late to everything. Drove me crazy. For me, I have to be there 10 minutes early. And for her, 10 minutes late on time. And it just drove me crazy. So it was difficult for me when it was time to go someplace. I would even ask her, what time will you be ready? And she just couldn't figure it out, I guess. And uh, she's gotten much, much better over the years. But what I saw was I couldn't trust her to be ready on time, could I? Because oh, time after time, she wasn't ready on time. So, the other thing that makes it hard for us to trust is who you are. And if you grew up in some relationship where you, there wasn't any trust, you couldn't trust your mom, you couldn't trust your dad, you couldn't trust one of your siblings, an aunt or an uncle, especially if you suffered some kind of abuse, uh, then it's hard for you to trust because you tried it and so consequently you've learned not to trust. Isn't it interesting kids are trusting? You have to teach your kids don't take candy from strangers because they're just trusting, right? And they like candy, but that's another. So we naturally are trusting unless we've learned not to trust. Now the good news is if we learn not to trust, we can also learn to do what? To trust. So we're going to look at something that a guy by the name of Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament wrote. And actually, it's a very famous part of the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 13. We even have a name for this chapter. What's the name of the chapter? It's called the love chapter. The love chapter, right? You learn about love. In fact, if you, there's a wedding coming. I don't know if it's going to be in the wedding this coming Saturday. One of our families is, is having a wedding. Uh, Tammy just got married. Tammy and Charlie just got married, so you can congratulate them. Not Charlie, excuse me. Wesley. Father-in-law is Charlie. Phew. <laughs> Can we blot that out of some, some, somewhere on the, on the video? <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know if it's going to be in there, but if you got married in a church, most likely part of 1 Corinthians 13 was read, or maybe the whole chapter. Um, I don't remember if it was in ours, but that was a long time ago. Now, when we look at this chapter, or part of this chapter, Paul's going to try and explain love to us. That's kind of hard to understand love, isn't it? Um, don't you want to know what love is? I want to know what love is. Actually, it reminds me of a song. I don't sing, so I have to let somebody else play, sing it for me. But anyway, I, I, I do. I want to know. Uh, it's a biggie, especially in relationships, right? You know what love is. So, what Paul is going to 
tell us or share with us, we're going to bump into that love and trust are, are connected. It's really hard to love somebody you can't trust, isn't it? And we're going to go through the familiar parts of the passage that you're familiar with. But then he, he, he kind of gets to the place where he, it's just not enough to explain love. And then he gives us four extreme statements. And you know this stuff and you probably just kind of glance over it and read past it really quickly. But they're really extreme. But they're critical if we're going to understand how to trust. So let's, let's begin in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, you might be familiar with some other translation. You've got a Bible you can follow in yours if you like. Love is patient and kind. That makes sense to us, right? Certainly isn't unkind, so love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Certainly love shouldn't be rude and it shouldn't be jealous. That all makes sense to us. Okay, Paul, we're following you, right? We're on track. Then he goes on. It doesn't demand its own way. So I don't force my people I'm in love with to do stuff. I don't demand my own way. It's not irritable. Now, I tend to get irritable sometimes, but it's really not loving, right? So, yeah, it's not. Now, this part's a little hard, tough for some of us. It keeps no record of being wronged. Now, some of you are in relationships or have been in relationships where you, that other person, that spouse or somebody at work or somebody else, keeps a file cabinet, right? And they can say, I remember on... You know, January 23rd, 2006, you, at 5.30 in the afternoon, you did this. Now, they really can't pinpoint the time, but they'll know what you did, right? And they can pull it out of that file cabinet in an instant. And so for you, maybe this is a, a struggle. But Paul said there's no file cabinet with love, all right? No file cabinet. We don't keep track of wrongs. Then he goes on, does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. What he's trying to say, I think, is this. We don't try and catch the other person doing something wrong. You know, I'm just watching for my spouse or my kids to mess up so I can say, I told you so. I know you were going to do it. I know you weren't going to do it. Love doesn't do that. Love just does the opposite. It looks for opportunities to say, hey, good job. I know you would follow through with that. I know you would do that. I know you wouldn't do that. Rejoices in the truth. And then he gets to this point, it kinda, it's kind of like he shifts gears and he's kind of, it's just not enough to explain love. I need to f- say it a different way. Or, and so he gives us these four, again, really extreme statements. This translation says it this way. Love never gives up. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's got to be a limit, right? There's got to be a place where you just can't keep going. No, 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 no. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. Some translation says always trusts. Always trusts? I mean, it, I, I've tried and i tried and i tried, but they, they're just not trustworthy. Always trust? Yeah. Love always trusts. Always hopeful. Well, I was hopeful for years and years and years, but now I just, I don't, no, 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 no. Paul says, no, love is always hopeful. No matter what's going on, no matter what's happened, no matter what your experiences are. And then he says, it endures through every circumstance. Uh, You don't know my story. I don't know your story. Well, you know, I try, but, you know, the circumstances got so bad. Paul says, no, no, no. And I know these are extreme. He says, love 
endures through every obstacle, every circumstance. Another way to think about it is love bends and bends and bends, and there's no breaking point. It leans in, it leans in, it leans in. It does everything it can to protect the relationship. That's what love does. Now, it's easy for us to doubt some of this stuff when we think about our relationship with other people, but think about how Jesus treats us. Does he ever give up on us? Is he always, is he always hopeful? Is it, whatever circumstance? Absolutely. So let me summarize what I think Paul is saying with three statements. First, love gives the other person the benefit of the doubt. This does. You know, it doesn't look good, it doesn't look right, looks like they screwed up, but I trust them, and so I'm going to give them the benefit of doubt. Secondly, love looks for the most generous explanation for the other person's behavior. I know they said this, but, you know, there's got to be some expo- a better explanation. Something, you know, my, my wife will say to me sometimes when I'm irritable, unfortunately I get irritable sometimes, and she'll, her first response is, do you have a headache? trying to make excuses for me, or do you not feel well, or I, I know you're stressed out about something. And it doesn't excuse the fact that I'm irritable, does it? But she loves me deeply, and so she looks for a generous explanation for the other person's behavior. And by the way, when she's late, which isn't very often anymore, um, I'm okay. I know there's, there's got to be a good reason. So the most generous explanation possible, that's what love does whether it's with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, teenagers, parents, all right? Parents aren't perfect. Generous explanation. And thirdly, love chooses trust over suspicion. Trust over suspicion. So I'm going to have a little illustration up here. I'm going to try and help us with kind of understand this or, or understand a little bit better. In all our relationships, we have expectations, Right? Expect my wife to be ready on time. You expect, you know, just your spouse to, you know, stay in the budget with your finances and whatever it might be. All right, we all have expectations, and then we have our experience. All right. Well, I expected them to be on time, but they weren't. Well, I expected them to not spend so much money on that, but they did. And so, anytime there's a gap between expectations and experience. What are we going to put in the gap? We basically have two choices. We can assume the worst. They don't care. They're just irresponsible. They're trying to upset me. We can, we can choose that. Or we can choose to believe the best. Oh, you must have a headache. You must not feel well. You know, you're really stressed about this about about that here's here's the key they can't force you to choose we decide what goes in the gap parents with teenagers you get to decide what goes in the gap teenagers with parents you get to decide what goes in the gap wives you get to decide what goes in the gap husbands you get to decide what goes in the gap you can assume the worst or believe the best. So this, 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 this operates at home. This operates at work. You got somebody that you're 
delegating work to and they haven't followed through? You assume the worst or believe the best? Maybe the boss was in a relationship with you. You haven't done something up to their expectations. They're going to assume the worst or believe the best. One, way, one place I really see this is kind of, kind of crazy is in our political realm. Isn't it interesting that half the nation believes the other half are crazy and the other half believes that half is crazy. Now it's really strange because I've lived long enough that, that politics have always been contentious. But there was a time when both sides believed that both sides wanted what was best for the nation. They just disagreed how to get there. That's gone now, isn't it? This isn't even in a conversation anymore. You know, if you're a Democrat, be, all those Republicans are idiots, including the president. And if you're a Republican, all those Democrats are idiots. It's just, it's gone. You just completely assume the worst. I'm not going to get into politics this morning. But anyway, that was a good illustration of how this can spiral down a terrible place. So let me give you a tip about relationships. In healthy relationships, both parties go to ridiculous extremes to believe the best. Now you see this in, in young couples that are googly-eyed in love, right? You could try and point out to them, hey, you know, he, does, he or she has a flaw. When I do premarital counseling, it's kind of my, my job to help them understand that the other spouse isn't perfect. Because they're going to find it out eventually, aren't they? But I don't know how healthy that is, but in those relationships, ridiculous extremes will be the best. Again, my wife tries to believe the best about me even when I'm uh, out of sorts or irritable, right? We use this term, and you use, probably use the expression too, love is blind. Love is blind. You know, I'm just irritable, but my wife loves me, so she's going to make up an excuse for me. Ridiculous extremes believe the best, and vice versa. Now, here's the flip side. There's absolutely nothing to gain by refusing to trust. Is there? It's kind of a lose-lose situation. There's no, there's no winners. It's kind of like this. <clears throat> when we're suspicious of someone else, we reject that. We're, re- we're rejecting them. And when anybody rejects you, how do you respond? Oh, whoa, this feels really good. I love being rejected. No. You draw back. You pull away. You don't lean in. See, God's kind of wired us to be what I would call an acceptance magnet. You see this in kids. You know, when they... You know, they form little groups because in that group, whatever it might be, you know, the nerds are accepting of nerds and, and the athletes are accepting of athletes. Maybe not of each other. It would be nice if they were. But we gravitate to acceptance. This is what, what is so critical about church. Um, I think the church in general, and our church in particular, has gotten this much better at this over the years. I remember a guy by the name of Tom. Some of you remember Tom Smith. Came here, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. And the first time he came, he came with long sleeve and long pants. I think it was in the summertime. And uh, he didn't know how accepting we would be. Well, the reason was he had tats all over his arms and legs. All right? So he gradually would, you know, he came one day with a short sleeve shirt on to see what happened. You know, we're going to say, oh, he's got tats. And then eventually he wore, you know, tank tops and shorts because it wasn't a big deal to us. We, we, we are ex- accepting of people. Because God accepts us just as we are, right? So, we have the choice. 
You have the choice? I have the choice. It's a very powerful choice to what to put in the gap. Now, we all have our sad stories, right? And again, I don't know your sad story. But again, there's nothing to gain by refusing to trust. In fact, think about it this way. <laughs> your, whoever, your spouse, your, your parents, your, your child comes to you and says, I can't trust you at all. And you, what are your responses? Wow, my relationship just got so much better. I'm feeling really drawn to my spouse now that she refuses to accept me, refuses to trust me. So Paul says, no, 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 no. Love bends and bends and bends. And it keeps bending. It keeps leaning in. It never gives up. Always trust. It's always hopeful. Now, what happens when you can't? When you can't choose to trust. Talk about something most of you don't like, but really it's important in this area. You must choose to confront. Now, it's really interesting to me. Jesus doesn't give us one, two, three on how to parent, or one, two, three how to be a good spouse, or one, two, three on, on any area of life except for one. Like I, I could find. Again, you can prove the pastor wrong. This week, too, if you can find another time and Jesus said, hey, one, two, three. Only one area of life does he give us three steps. And it's in Matthew 18, and it's about this topic of confrontation. He goes step by step by step uh, how we should properly confront somebody. Now, the problem is, instead of confronting people, since most of us don't like it, is that we do other stuff, like we gossip, all right? So I have a problem with you, so I go and tell them. You know, she, you know, you know how many times my wife's not been on time? Or you know how many times my husband spent more money than he should in this area or that area? That's what we do. We gossip. Or we have these conversations in our head, don't we? I knew I couldn't trust him. I tried. I've tried a hundred times, and this is, you know, and it's the same old thing. Can't trust him. Can't trust him. We have these conversations in our head. The other thing we do is our spouse kind of gets, a, our spouse or parent or child gets this clue and they'll ask us, what's wrong? What's wrong, mom? And what's our response? Nothing. I, I, I'm sure there's something wrong. No, nothing. I, 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 please, please, please. You really want to know? I'll tell you what's wrong. <laughs> then you don't want to know, do you? <laughs> when it gets to that point. So we do all these, all these bad ways of dealing with the gap, right? Instead of confronting. So the moment there's a gap, we need to have a conversation. The moment there's the gap. Not after we've gossiped, not after we've had the conversation in our head. Not after we've said five times, nothing's wrong. So, I'm going to Instead of assuming the worst, because that conversation is not going to go very well, is it? So I'm going to approach this conversation by believing the best. I'm assuming there's a good explanation, a good reason why, whatever, all right? Why you've not done this or why you did that. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to want to have a conversation. Now, I know for most of you say, well, I just don't like conversation. The experts tell us there's only 8% of people like confrontation. 
So there might be <laughs> two in here. But let me ask you something. How do those conversations go with people who like confrontation? Do you like those conversations? They come with a full set of steam. All right, I want to talk about this now, and I've got all my ammunition. Not very well. It doesn't go very well, does it? I guess they have their place in society. But most of us don't like confrontation. The good news is then you're probably going to be good at it. And when that person shares, hey, just, I'm just wanting to know what's going on here. And when they use it, share with it, most of the time isn't our response, oh, okay, oh yeah. If we just approach the, with the conversation to believe the best. So I want to share with you five commitments and we'll wrap this up that you can have in, in, in individual relationships, but it really works well in corporate relationships like our leadership team at our church here or other places. So when there's a gap between expectation and experience, I will believe the best. Doesn't matter how many times I've messed up in the past, I'm choosing to believe the best. There's nothing to gain by assuming the worst, so I'm going to believe the best. I could be wrong, but this is the best way to protect the relationship, right? I'll believe the best. Second, when other people assume the worst about you and they're gossiping to me, I'll come to your defense. I, that's probably a good reason. There's another explanation. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we did that in the, in the political realm? Democrat, you know, so if you're, if you're a Republican talking to a Democrat or vice versa and they're running the other party down, just say, well, you know, they, they, they love our country too. They, they've got good reason to believe what they believe. You might get kicked out of your party if you do that. But uh, it's a good way to practice this, all right? So come to the defense. Thirdly, <clears throat> if what I've experienced begins to erode my trust, and that happens, right? You know, you failed and you failed and you failed. You screwed up, you screwed up, you screwed up. I'm going to come to you directly. I'm not going to have the conversations in my head. I'm not going to gossip. I'm going to come to you. You know, your teenager hasn't cleaned up his, you know, the, his or her room time after time after time. You're going to go, okay. You know, we've been through this a hundred times. Let's go through it to the hundred first time, all right? It's important that you clean up your room or whatever it might be instructions that you have. Go directly. Next, <clears throat> On my behalf, I can kind of uh, prevent this or, or uh, take preventive medicine or preventive action. When I'm convinced I'll not be able to deliver on my promise, I'll tell you ahead of time. Now, this is kind of easy. It's like with cell phones, right? If you're going to be late, tell you, you know, my wife doesn't always answer, but I can leave her a message, okay? Hey, I'm running late or I, I messed up. I forgot to run, run that errand or forgot to do this or forgot to do that. And so you can kind of cut it short right there, the, the issue of the problem. And again, you're protecting the relationship. And then lastly, when you confront me about the gaps that I've created, I'll tell you the truth. Don't make excuses, um, which is easy for us to do, right? Tell the truth. I just blew it, you know? I, I have no, I, no other explanation. And uh, I always teach people, you know, ask forgiveness. I'm saying, it's not enough to say you're sorry. You really need to ask forgiveness. Then it's not at, in, your, in your ballpark anymore. It's on the other person's ballpark, right? And we talked the first, two weeks ago or three weeks ago about forgiveness, right? So if I ask forgiveness of you, if you're a Jesus follower, you're going to do what? You're going to forgive me, right? 
Because unforgiveness is not an option. Now, again, I live in the real world. Nobody calls the church and says, Hey, pastor, at least I want you to know my marriage is great, my kids are great, my job is great, my health is great. Just wanted you to know. Never got one of those calls. 40 years. Never. Never got one of those calls. Hey, my wife and I hate each other. We're ready to split up. Can we come and talk to you? That's the kind of calls that, that we get. <clears throat> but the best way to discover you can trust somebody is to tell them you're trusting them. Especially if they haven't been trustworthy in the past. They, I know, you know, this has been difficult and, and uh, you know, you've blown it or I've blown it a few times, <clears throat> or more than a few times. <clears throat> but I want you, just want you to know, I'm still going to trust you. And they may prove to be untrustworthy. But anytime there's a gap between our expectations and our experience, we have the power to choose what we're going to put in the gap. I can assume the worst. We've done it again. I know I couldn't trust him. Or, well, there's probably a good explanation. Why? Now, for those of you who have a hard time trusting people, the experts tell us there's this exercise you can do to help. And here's how it goes. Get along by yourself and say out loud three times. It's hard for me to trust people or it's hard for me to trust put in a name or my child or my spouse or my parent. Out, three times. It's hard for me to trust him. It's hard for me to trust him. It's hard for me to trust him. And just voicing those words and hearing those words will help or can help you to be more trusting. Now, most of us are trusting people, right? And so um, that's not an exercise we have to do. So for, for all of us, what can we do to break the cycle of mistrust? I didn't label this homework, but you can do it as homework if you want. What can you do? Simplest thing I know to do is choose this, believing the best, choosing to bend and bend and bend, choosing to lean in, to lean in, choosing to, to trust always, to always be hopeful. And spite of the circumstances. Now, if you forget all my neat illustrations up here and what I said this morning, this is what helps me. Uh, we call it the golden rule, just something Jesus said. So if you don't remember anything else I said, hopefully you remember some of it, but you don't remember, just think about this. Do you want to others as you would like them to do to you? Do you want people to trust you? Especially when maybe you haven't been trustworthy in the past. What's the best way to get you to be trustworthy in the future? For somebody to trust you again. Now, we don't have to be you know, deceived by this, saying, well, I just want to trust this person. We can say to the person, you know, you've let me down multiple times before, but I choose to continue to trust you. How motivating is that? Can that be? So again, application makes all the difference. So if you've got a relationship you're struggling with, let me challenge you to give this a try. Uh, we'll finish up the series next week with uh, one more application. Hopefully you can join us. We'll pray. We'll have another song. And we'll let you go. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to share this, this teaching. Uh, it's really about relationships, which are huge. 
at the foundation of life and, and trust is the foundation of relationships. And this is, I know this is easy to teach and easy to say, but it's not easy to do. So I want to pray for all these folks where they struggle with trusting that they will really, with your help, God, make an effort, even if they're not Jesus followers, that these principles will help in their relationships. When relationships are good, life is good. And God, we do want to pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower. Today might be the day that they, they just want to start following. Give it a try. Step across that line. And uh, we're here to help. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.